Hey guys, welcome back to Nerd Talk with Jordan Halstead. I'm your host, Jordan Halstead, and today I have with me Mr. Scott Stedman and Micah Current. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on this episode as we discuss Iron Man 3. Man, Iron Man 3, I can't wait to discuss it. I gotta say, first of all, thanks for having us. But second of all, it's good to have our fearless leader back after, you know, taking over their... Uh, the yeah, you guys are the, the hosting responsibility for the last couple of weeks where you traveled. And then even the week before, I kind of played referee in the, the Morbius episode. So, yeah, for those of you guys who don't follow us on TikTok, we encourage you to go check out our channel. There was this uh, TikTok that Micah posted right after we filmed the Morbius movie uh, trailer review and all that. Um, when we were, when we were going through some of that, <laughs> I'm so for Morbius. No one else is. And the the TikTok was when I host a a conversation about Morbius, and then it was was it Mike Tyson? Is yeah. that who <laughs> he just like started wailing on the dude? And I was like, I don't know who I feel more like Mike Tyson or the guy getting beat up on. <laughs> I was like, oh man. But no, guys, yes. thank you. It was great to host for the last couple of weeks, and but yes. it's great to have you back. Thank you, and and thank you so much for filling in last week. Uh, for those of you guys who are unaware, um, we had a death. And, and some of our family friend group. And so uh, little boy, LJ, this is dedicated to my buddy, LJ, who is now in heaven. So uh, thank you so much for just being a part of that. And thank you for hosting that one for me. That was, that was big that I can depend on my guys to help me lead this. So, uh, so we're going to ep- just, go does ahead. that episode drop this week? Uh, it, it would have dropped last week. Yeah. This, the last Saturday uh, no, is no, when no. it would have dropped. The, new, the one we did last week while you were gone, will drop this weekend yes but to all of our listeners who are listening it would have been the last episode <laughs> are you that talking way. about the multiverse <laughs> yes we're 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 on time travel it's all crazy so anyways <laughs> going back in <laughs> going back in you know we we got right off of uh our first year and we were planning out phase one and we talked about hey we're gonna do each episode and so we're starting phase two and it comes right off the events of the avengers so i want to start out and ask this question do you feel that this was a good film? Not that it was like, we're not basing this off the Morbius rule or anything like that, but like as a film, do you feel that this was a good film, a great film, a bad film? What are your guys' thoughts? I think it was a good film. Like I, I, there's certain parts of it that just didn't sit well with me about the film, but I think overall, like it's a watchable film. It's a film that, does good and i think it's especially starting from season or sorry starting with phase two it kind of dives a little bit more into a psychology than uh, phase one did i think it kind of dives a little bit more and kind of starts setting more of the tone that we see um throughout the rest of the um mcu yeah you know i i absolutely agree with that my heart is with psychology i love kind of doing this whole pastoral counseling piece, getting to see the inner workings of people's heads and things like that. Um, I plan to get my master's that way one day. And I love how Iron Man 3 played off of the PTSD that Tony Stark had. I thought that was a great aspect. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I really enjoyed, you know, I threw it on this afternoon while I was working on some stuff at home. And I I really enjoyed the realism to it. I really uh, enjoyed the... um, post-traumatic stress syndrome that Tony was really feeling post Avengers events, um, saving the world and stopping the world from being blown up by nukes and, you know, other, you know, weapons. And I just, 
uh, I appreciated that there was a little bit of vulnerability there, especially with somebody like a Tony Stark, which you wouldn't get that normally from somebody who was arrogant and somebody who was a billionaire, somebody who was, you know, quote unquote, untouchable. It, it showed a softer side of him. And even towards the end of the movie um, where he didn't want to get rid of the, the chess piece, the arc reactor. Yep. And uh, you know, Pepper's like, I thought you were going to take care of that. And, you know, he finally, he finally does it. Right. So um, yeah, I really just appreciate uh, kind of the realism that Tony was able to show in this film. You know, he was really struggling with anxiety and, you know, I don't, I've never been formally diagnosed with anxiety, but I think, I think everybody suffers from some sort of anxiety. And so like, um, yeah, it just, for me, it just, I like this one. I really like Iron Man three and I don't feel like it gets the best, you know, rap, you know, in all the movies that we cover. Well, I, I'm going to push back on that. I think the reason it doesn't get this great rap is because you have in the same phase, it gets put up against movies like, as we were Guardians talking a little bit ago, Guardians, Ant-Man, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. And when you put it up against these I love films, how you didn't mention Levin, or, uh, The Dark World. Age of Ultron? <laughs> no, The Dark World. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, think, I think it was better than The Dark World, but... Not, or, yes, yes. You know, there, there's, there's not many bad films in the MCU. And like... And I'm going to put really big air quotes over that because when you see a bad film in the MCU, my bad film is like Captain Marvel, but that's not your bad film. You, you liked Captain Marvel and you liked some of the nostalgia pieces. Your bad film may be incredible Hulk and Scott's may be age of Ultron or what? Like we may, we all have our different bad films. And so when you go in and you look at that, like, I think that really all of them are gold to its own standard. Like when you go in and say, hey, like, does this fit within this year? Not does it fit by itself, but because it's a continuation of a story, does it work within what they're trying to tell with Tony Stark's story? Because they could have just finished like a trilogy and just just killed the character off. But it kind of sits more towards the middle of of Tony's story, because, I mean, he had Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Avengers, Iron Man 3, Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. Uh homecoming in there as well um but but you see kind of like he's kind of more middle-ish uh towards the beginning but middle-ish with his his trilogy is completely over and you know it still wasn't bad but he also carried the mcu on his back for a decade (laughs) he did and i'll be honest i think that there will still be pieces that he will be carrying phase four five six i think that there will be still subtle hints of things that that will still point back to original mcu so um, you know, there's this amazing villain that they chose from the comics named the Mandarin, uh, and they kind of warped how they handled this character, and it was very different, and they handled it with that realism of a domestic terrorist. What were your guys' thoughts of the Mandarin, or as we know him, for those of us who have watched it, Trevor Slattery? What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, cause I, you know, he was kind of an odd duck, right? Like, he was just, he was such a weirdo. And he, you know, the kind of like, quote unquote, reality star that he was in this movie, like it was just different. It was a different play on what we would see in a typical villain, especially like coming off of Iron Man 1, for example, where like they were legit terrorists and they were, um, you know, they kidnapped him. Right. And they, they did horrible things to him and they locked him in a cave. 
So like this, this had a completely different feel. And like, I didn't feel like he had a lot of depth in this, but I think for those who have watched Shang-Chi and he, you know, he reemerges in Shang-Chi all these years later, like, and the whole 10 rings thing comes, 10 rings thing comes full circle. Like, I think that was on purpose, right? He was supposed to be odd. He was supposed to be a weirdo. He was supposed to not really um, be the, the standard for a villain, right? Like he was just completely, I don't know. I keep using the word odd because he was, he was a weirdo. And um, yeah, so I think, um, I wish they would have given him a little bit more depth, but I think again, it was on purpose, similar to what we saw in Shang-Chi. You know, I struggled. I really struggled with, the way they handled it because i think that iron man's villains were not out of this world where when you finally meet the real mandarin like he was this out of this world kind of villain that he had survived many centuries and and thousands and thousands of years and and to go through all that like i was looking at even my lego sets a little while ago and i have this uh this mandarin and they have a special way to do the rings where he's like shooting them off his hands and i'm like these are really cool but like I wish Iron Man would have fought him because I think that would have been a really cool like Tony Stark versus the actual Mandarin and I think that would have been really really cool to see Win Wu against him and uh but but with Trevor Slattery just kind of that but it also brought to the realism of what if that happened today like how many things are real how many things could be faked and how many misdirections could be had and so it it brought that that realism that kind of threw me um, I didn't see it coming when I when I first watched it. Now this was, uh, so this is May 2013. I was a graduating senior when this one came out, and so I didn't I didn't see it coming, but I enjoyed it. Scott, what is your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so um, my wife and I went and saw this in theaters, and especially with the terrorist vibe and everything. Like I remember my wife turned to me and was like, "I don't." I don't think this is fun. Like this is not entertaining for me. Like it really bothered her. Uh, But then when we start to see the Trevor Slathery part and then, and and it was like lighthearted, it was funny, but I know talking to a guy at work um, after we saw the movie, he, he loves the Mandarin. He thinks the Mandarin's like one of the greatest villains and he hated how the Mandarin was portrayed in this movie. Absolutely hated it. Like it ruined the entire movie for him when that reveal came. Um, So, I mean, so part of me, when I think about the villain here, it's, it's, it's almost like a red herring because you have the Mandarin, but that's not the main villain in Iron Man three. It kind of throws you for a loop, which kind of works with kind of the opening to Iron Man, which is, you know, when you really see who the real villain is, it's like, well, you know, that villain came because of Tony Stark's actions and there's consequences for your actions, which I feel like that kind of kind of almost kind of becomes the theme for phase two, that there's always consequences for actions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like that. I like the fact that because I didn't think about that. There are consequences in every single uh, phase two film there was some big consequence for each thing with tearing down shield, uh, bringing in the, the infinity stones and, and how handing it to the collector. And uh, even with Ant-Man, like going down to the quantum realm and, and things like that. I didn't even think about that. That's, that's a great thought. Um, did you guys feel like there wasn't enough time 
in the suits, like, did you feel like Tony, because this was more kind of that Tony being his own character aside from Iron Man, if that makes sense. Like there were certain points where he had to be the engineer. He had to like do some inner workings with his mind and try and figure out, okay, how do I create ornament bombs and how do I do a taser glove? <laughs> like he, he's using like all these Home Depot items to create an arsenal for himself. Did you wish that, because the other two, he was in the suit a lot. And then when he wasn't in the suit, he was in. So with, with that, do you guys feel that, that there was enough time in Iron Man suits or do you feel like there was too much Tony? Like, do you, where, where do you guys feel with the, the balance of this character? I liked more Tony, to be honest. Because I, I think, like I said before, he was really struggling in this movie from a personal stance. Like, he was still trying to figure out who he was as a superhero. He was a superhero, and it was kind of post-Avengers, like we talked about earlier, where he was dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome. And, like, it was like, I think the writers really wanted us to focus on the fact that Tony was a human being in this movie and he was really struggling even post like his mansion getting blown up in Malibu and like him going, you know, into the little small town and like trying to figure it out and trying to remember who he was as a person before Iron Man. And I think that was on purpose and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I agree with Micah. Like I'm, I'm okay with Tony because again, like kind of like the comment I made earlier that, you know, there's always, consequences to your actions and when you think about tony the playboy tony the millionaire tony as you know at the first movie i am iron man so now it's like okay who is tony stark especially when you strip away the iron man suit you strip away his mansion you strip away his everything that makes tony you know tony stark tony stark and now you kind of have this guy who has to figure out who he is. He literally stripped him down to the bare bones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think that, you know, I wish there were more suits kind of like him in the suits instead of just the final battle, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. Uh, but I just, I kind of wish there was more Iron Man time because I feel like he was such a cocky character and like was always like, I've got a new suit. Like, let me show you. Or like in Avengers, when he jump or he's he's thrown out the window and he falls pretty much to his death is what it looks like. And next thing you know, he's got those wristbands and it and it catches him midair and he goes. I'm like, I wish I would have seen some more of that instead of him like hitting someone and running. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're not Captain America, you're not Thor, you're not the Hulk. You you don't have superpowers and you don't have these train you don't have training for this. So like. I just, yeah, I kind of wish there was more of that, but I understand why they didn't. Cause like you guys said, it brings him back to his roots. What did you guys, uh, you know, what did you guys think about his detectiveness with, cause I mean, like I was saying earlier with the Mandarin, it's got this whole homemade terrorist kind of feel and, and it's very centered in the United States kind of brings back some, uh, some nine 11 vibes, to be honest, to, to bring some of that in and him kind of, like open up Jarvis in his room and like he pinpoints each piece and he's doing like the math and he's like detective sleuthing it and all that. What are your guys thoughts on that one? How'd you guys like how he went through it? Um, you know, you know, I never really thought of that. I mean, to be honest, I never really thought about that. It's almost like, um, I think it's, again, I think when we realize who the real villain is, you're kind of, you're kind of thrown for a loop. So, and I think that's kind of when you think about, Tony Stark's character, you know, this is the guy who's a genius engineer who can kind of 
figure everything out and do something. So even the idea of trying to pinpoint the terrorist and where he's going and try to find him and do all that and use Jarvis as that, he's chasing after the wrong lead in some ways. He's not really getting to the the true villain or the true heart, which, you know, even though we have a face to the true villain, really one of the big things about Iron Man 3 is, well, who's the real villain? Was it Adrian Killich or was it Tony Stark and the way he treated Adrian Killich that kind of created the enemy or the antagonist of this film? So I think so, you know, I, I never really thought about that. So that's a good question, Jordan. I'm glad I was able to answer that for you. <laughs> I don't think you actually did. I think you just answered with, that's a great question, Jordan. <laughs> with, 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 with just um, a... <laughs> he answered a question with like more of a statement, like a blanket statement of like, did I, well, a question with a question, did I answer your question? But like a blanket statement before that. Um. I thought it was okay. Um, it almost felt like there was a callback to the first movie with the 10 rings. It was brief. Like it wasn't like as in depth. And I think not like that Marvel or the MCU has ever gone, you know, full blown violent rated R kind of stuff. But I did, especially in the first Iron Man film, feel more a sense of uh, violence and um, especially with the guys that kidnapped him, right? They just seem more violent. Would you guys agree with that? And then, like, with the Mandarin, like, it, it, it really didn't feel like that, right? They referenced the Ten Rings, and they kind of moved forward. But like I said, it was almost like the scripted reality show where he was behind a green screen, and he was, you know, portraying this propaganda that, you know, wasn't really true, right? And so it was just a different take. And, you know, I could have done without it, but... Again, I think I think I would have enjoyed it more had they told more of that story of the Ten Rings, especially the terrorist group in the Middle East that kidnapped him. Maybe maybe some of those guys survived after you know Tony got out of the original cave in the first movie. Maybe they formed another group, like another generation or something, where they were going to come back and they were going to you know avenge Tony for what he did to get out of that you know out of the cave. Who knows? Like I think I would have preferred that versus um kind of what they did with the mandarin i think it would have been cool had they gone and used the whole world organization that they talk about with shang chi and like there's different cells of the ten rings and how each piece kind of plays its parts and things like i think that would have been really cool to use but like you said i wonder if they just kind of saw hey let's let's just test the waters here let's bring it a little bit more realistic over here before the because now we're, now we're getting into fantasy and we're getting into sci-fi and we're getting into things that that doesn't work. That's not how, how the real world works. Like there's no such thing as another realm where there's a dragon flying around that like is the protector. Like, like we don't have that abomination Hulk. Those are not actual characters. Like you can't just like inject yourself with something and then become a hulking rage monster. Like it just, it just doesn't, that's not how life works. And now that we're hitting these points that, you know, we don't have to stick to the realism. We are able to kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, I think that's probably why they did it. But they saw that, hey, let, let's test this out before we we pull that trigger. It's kind of interesting because we, you know, we, we're we diving into phase two here. But like when we talked about phase one specifically with um, 
with Thor, the first Thor film. We talked a little bit about in that episode how the directors and writers really tried to nail 30 ideas to the wall and they just they just went with all of them, right? And they didn't really like it really just was just a free for all as a movie, right? As a story was trying to be told with Loki and the Frost Giants and with Thor and being a spoiled little brat and you know trying to be the king and all these things. Plus you got the villain and it just seemed like a whole bunch of different ideas. With Iron Man, it felt the opposite. Like they really had their craft together with the very first film and the first film was solid as we talked about before we hit record on this episode. But like the third one, it felt like they did the opposite. Like we were talking about with Thor one, Iron Man three very felt much like a Thor one where they had like all these different ideas and they just wanted to try different things and it didn't necessarily work or it did. I mean, depending on how you feel about the film. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, we, we haven't talked about it yet, but like, is this a Christmas movie? Is it not a Christmas movie? And like, like you have that, then you have like this whole idea of the whole terrorist, like realism thing, but not being a realism thing. The 10 rings, are they the 10 rings? Are they not the 10 rings? Like it just felt very much like there was 12 ideas and nobody really knew what the plot was of this. But, but is that, well, but, but I'm thinking, but does that play with the whole P PTSD of not knowing what's yeah, real and what's absolutely. fantasy. So even the yes. idea of not knowing who you are or this misdirection and everything else, like it, I feel like that kind of plays into it. Cause I mean, even like, cause it was directed by Shane Black. It was written by Shane Black and like a couple other people. And that's the thing about Shane Black is, you know, he's someone who knows how to write an action film. I mean, he freaking created Lethal Weapon. Like that whole series was his brainchild. Um, but even with that, like there's always this motif where he kind of puts heart in his character. So I think even in some ways, like, yeah, I feel like a lot of times it can be kind of jarring. And I mean, there's certain parts in that film, like his interaction with the kid, like that's probably like my least favorite part of the whole entire movie. I just felt like it was so cringy, cringy and off-putting. Like, it's like, why is he being... Why is he being a jerk to this well, kid? Like, why specifically this kid is being a kind of a jerk well, to? And then to play into the fact that he shows up years, years, years later with no explanation. Yeah, with no explanation. He hasn't. He hasn't shown up. And most people are like, "Who was this guy in the back?" And then they go and they look at the everybody kid. that I asked. I had to tell. Like, I immediately caught it. I was like, "That's the kid from Iron Man three because I also knew him from Jurassic World. I knew him from a few other projects. I was like, I know the actor. Like, that's him." I had to point that out to Laura. She's like, who's that random guy? I'm like, that's the kid from Iron Man 3. She's like, why would he be at their funeral? He was a jerk to that kid. I go, but but <laughs> at the end of the film, there's redemption when he pays for everything and puts like a whole little workshop together in that room. So I think that without saying it and uh, without giving enough, like, without giving enough script behind it, they tried to say, but again, this comes back to what, Micah, you were saying just a few minutes ago. They were throwing so much at the wall that not everything stuck. And like, what what was the purpose of that kid? So now it comes down to moving forward. Is he going to be Iron Lad? Because there's already talk that he's going to be Iron Lad. Here's here's a theory, and and I could be wrong because this is the first film of Phase Two. Do you think that this was going to be the kid that he was going to mentor throughout the before they got the the Spider-Man rights? if, before they got the spider I would rights. I would go that far and say yes because I think that with that character okay so this is 2013 the next time we see Iron Man is 2015 Civil War, Civil War came out in 16 huh 
I think Civil War came Age out. Age of 16. Ultron. 15. Oh, you're right. Sorry. So it shows, shows up in 15. They would have had the rights already secured to do Sony and Spider-Man 2016 for Civil War. So they already had that working. That's probably why they didn't continue that story afterwards. Because yeah. it, they probably could have done a sidekick and said, like, Iron Lad. And, and had him come in and play like a Batman Robin with Iron Man Iron Lad, which would have made sense. But because of the, the fact that they got Spider-Man and because Spider-Man and Iron Man are so close in the comics, it made even more sense. But it was in 2013, they didn't have those rights. Disney had just actually, this was the first official Disney film that they could, they got the full rights. They got to write everything. Um, they got full profit. <clears throat> they, they actually wrote and directed I, or the Avengers, but it was still under the universal banner. All of phase one is technically universal. And then phase two is when Disney has Disney's Marvel studios. And so at that point, yeah, that, Scott, I think, I think you, you pinned that one on the nose. I think that one. So, is, did, so would you guys agree with that though? What I said before, like it just felt Iron Man three, like felt very much like they had like all these ideas and they just wanted to throw them in the air and see what happened. Well, yeah, I, I, and, and how ironic is it that, we talked about Thor and it was the opposite with Iron Man. Thor was like the first one. They didn't know what they were doing. And by the time they get to Ragnarok, it's really good. And it's really solid. And then with Iron Man, the first Iron Man was great. And then two and three were just kind of eh, so, so. Well, I, I'm going to push back there. I think that the reason that three is the one that they kind of threw everything out was that was a series that held its own. Like that, that was the fourth time, fifth time we'd seen Tony Stark because uh, he, he showed up in Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Avengers, and then he had a cameo in Incredible Hulk. So this yep. is the fifth time we've seen this character. He's holding the MCU already on his back with all of Phase 1. He was The only two movies that he wasn't in were Thor and Captain America. And to hold the entire first phase on his back, like, yeah, go ahead. Like, throw whatever you want because people are people are going to pay to go see an Iron Man film. They, they don't speaking care. Of, speaking of Spider-Man, um, when I threw it on this afternoon, did you all notice that he he's wearing the Edith glasses in this movie early on? I did not. That he gives to, I didn't notice that. that. He gives to mm-hmm. Peter Parker and Far From Home. Huh. Yeah. He's actually wearing him early on in the film. Doesn't surprise me, but I'd never noticed that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that part. I was like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> I just wa- I bought No Way Home last week and I watched it over the weekend. And you know um, when they're they're raiding Peter Parker's you know apartment at the beginning of the film, it shows the Edith glasses like in the case, just kind of sitting in his bedroom. Yeah. And then I and then uh, when I threw Iron Man three on today, he was actually wearing the Edith glasses early on, like the first couple of like the first twenty minutes or so. That's great, Scott. What are your thoughts on on Micah's question though? I mean. I don't necessarily knew, know if they threw a bunch of ideas. I think they had a kind of a vision and a plan. I just don't think it actually was executed properly. It's a great it's a great thought, though, Scott, just to pick it up of what you said about how it, it might have just played into the whole post-traumatic stress syndrome that he was going through. Because, I mean, you have to kind of create kind of this idea of paranoia, but not really being paranoid. And you do that by kind of doing like a more of a red herring or kind of doing like a smoke and mirror thing, which is kind of like the whole terrorist vibe with the Mandarin. It's like, you know, you're kind of seeing something. And I think even like, you know, Jordan kind of going back to seeing that, you know, someone who, you know, graduated in 2001 
and then, you know, working and then that happens, 9-11 happens. When you see something like that, like it jars you. Yeah. I mean, that's why my wife was like, I don't find this entertaining because it really, it really well, it hit home. just like that. It, it hit. I mean, and, and I, that's and I think that was what the director was going for. And now you can watch it again after you see it the first time. You can watch it again and you kind of already know, OK, well, here's you, you kind of work through some of those feelings a little is. bit and you, you already know. Yeah. So it's not it's not that first knee jerk reaction. But I think it also helps you. But then you you kind of almost in a way connect with Tony as he's trying to work through his own traumatic episodes with, you know, going up the space with the nuke and the alien and, you know, and all that stuff. And even the stuff with in the first Iron Man, just there's a lot of stuff. He's well, you could take that, with. Scott, you could take that a step further, like whole 9-11. When the first, uh, the first Iron Man came out in 07? Eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you could take it a step further. Like he he created weapons, military grade weapons. That was like his business, right? And so, um, even two thousand eight, when you know you're seven, you know years removed from what happened in nine eleven, there's still a war going on in the Middle East. And like it seemed like every movie with any sort of war or any sort of weapons kind of addressed stuff going on in the Middle East. So like this was still very much fresh. Yeah. You know, even and, even in Iron Man three, and I would even say not only like dealing with the, you know, the PTSD, but even the idea that he made military weapons and just kind of like what I said before, like it's like every every action has a consequence. So yeah. it's you're dealing with PTSD, but then it's like, who am I? Well, I'm Tony Stark, but I made weapons, and now I'm Iron Man. And then when you start to kind of strip away from being a weapons dealer. Uh, you know, or even being someone whose father was non-existent in his life, which, you know, he's kind of dealing with that with this whiny little kid. And, and like, where was it? Well, terrorist was like a term, too, that like came out like in the, you know, that wasn't like a new term, but like it, it just was more, more prevalent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when you hear the word like the Mandarin was referred to as a terrorist in this movie. And so I could see how your wife, Scott, was not very, you know. Mm-hmm. Pete you keen on that idea being so well and and here's the other side to that coin how many kids today like i mean my kid has no idea what 9-11 even is i mean i've got a two-year-old at this point i mean clearly he's not going to understand that but but a lot of our my teenagers they don't they don't understand the impact and the implications of what 9-11 looked like i remember i mean you guys can can attest to this going to the airport and going all the way to the gate to say goodbye to your loved one now it's you've got the tsa like like there's a line you do not cross like you say goodbye before you let them off and and like kids today will never understand that you used to be able to walk all the way down to the the departure gate through the terminals everything all the way until they got onto the plane and you watched the plane leave like i remember watching my grandmother leave and and like terrorist is a term that is very common for them to understand like when we say Osama bin Laden, they would be like terrorist. You go in and you say, oh, Mandarin, like in the MCU. Oh, he's a terrorist. Like it doesn't mean the same for kids today as it does for all of us who experienced this. So uh, we're talking about weapons, though, and I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Iron Patriot, a man-made weapon that you get to wear and run around in. What were you guys' thoughts on the rebranding of War Machine to Iron Patriot? Did you guys like the color scheme? Did you like the uh, the, the rebranding of the name? What were your thoughts on the Iron Patriot? I thought it was kind of cheesy. 
to be honest, like, I mean, Don Cheadle's going to do great in any, any role he's asked to do specifically in the MCU. But, but like, I thought that the, I mean, the suit looked pretty cool, right? And it's kind of like, yeah, our listeners can't see that. But still, Jordan's showing us a Lego of, of the suit, I guess, of the Iron Patriot suit. But honestly, like, I was just thinking about it, but like, um, it kind of reminds me now of the newer Captain America suit that we see Sam wear towards the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier, just kind of the color scheme, not necessarily the, the it's not an identical rebrand, but like it looks close in the color scheme. Like other than being super patriotic, I could care less. Like I, but I thought it was cheesy that they named him Iron Patriot. It's sort of like when you watch Falcon and Winter Soldier, when uh, Walker, you know, takes the mantle of Captain America and you're like, that's not, my Captain America. That's just not it. Okay, it's not so happening. comic book wise, to give the, the reason why they call him the Iron Patriot is in mm-hmm. the comics, Norman Osborn at one point saves the the city, saves the world, whatever, and he takes over uh, as the new head of... I want to make sure I get this right. He takes over as the new head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so he becomes director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he unlocks what Tony, because Tony was the previous director of S.H.I.E.L.D., he unlocks a bunch of the the secret bases that house a bunch of Iron Man tech, and he literally goes around as the Iron Patriot and runs with the Dark Avengers. And so it's like a bunch of villains who are running around posing as superheroes when they're really not. They're just kind of faking it. But the the Iron Patriot's a real character, but just to have like the the iteration and the flip of the the switch for it, so that way it's like. Iron Patriot is really like War Machine, just in patriotic colors. I thought it was a, a fun, like, just quick comic book nod because that I think that happened like right after Civil War, so like that was a fresh piece um, to the comic book lore that less than five, ten years old. And so I liked that. What are your thoughts, Scott? Um, I don't have an opinion. Like, <laughs> you're like it was there. That's it was it. there. Seriously, seriously, I think this still, if, if I could add to it, Don Cheadle was still like mm-hmm. really developing as a character because he was only he was only in, at that point, Iron Man 2 and in Iron Man 3. Yeah, he didn't yes. even show up in Avengers. So like, he's still very much developing as a character. And like, I enjoy what he did in this movie. I enjoy what he does in um, Civil War. I enjoy what he does in Infinity War. Um, like, I just... He's like he's been one of those slow burns for me, and and I think he's great. Like I'm so glad that they swapped him out. Yeah, with, yeah, with Terrence Howard. Howard. And we've talked, we, yeah, we've talked about that at length, you know, in another podcast. But like I think Don Cheadle was the right person for this role, and I can't wait to see what they do with him in Armor Wars. Like I just, I think it's he's just been one of those slow burns for me, and like he's the perfect perfect yin to Tony's yang, and like. Especially like I was again, I was watching some of it this afternoon, and you know, Tony's like, "Come on, come on, already tell me." He's like, "Tony, it's classified." Come on, Tony. You know, he's like he's pestering him, and he's telling that Tony. He can tell that Tony's not healthy, and he's not okay. And so, like, but yeah, I think that you know, I can't believe Scott that you don't have an opinion on this. Like, he, I think he's solid. Well, I mean, well, I mean, well, I mean, I'm not saying he's not solid. I'm just, I mean, if you're talking about the whole iron patriot and the whole thing like i just feel like uh, and i think maybe it would be different kind of like piggybacking off what you said mike i think it'd be different if don Cheadle was 
Rhodey in Iron Man one, and you didn't have that switch from Terrence Tower to, I think if you kind of saw that, maybe I would have more of an opinion, but I just felt like it was kind of like, you know, he's, he was there in Iron Man two. He had some, some action, but at the same time, you never really established who he was and especially who he was in the suit. So whether it's Iron Patriot or War Machine, it's like, you know, for me, I didn't really have an opinion. It really didn't do much for me mm. because for me, it's just kind of more of a character development thing than anything. And did you like, didn't they save the president using that suit? Yeah. So I thought that was a cool touch with the suit itself. Yeah. I, I liked the fact that it kind of comes back to some of those comic book nods, but it was just a paint job for an, for just for like a, a short story, just a quick paint job. And like you guys said, he didn't have enough as he didn't have enough time <laughs> with, Oh my gosh. Uh, Scott's messing with us. Um, so, so with, with everything that kind of happened, I think that, you know, Don Cheadle, like you guys said, hadn't had enough time. So we hadn't really got to Rhodey yet and to, to understand his character. And we were slowly building him up and uh, before we shoot him out of the sky. And, uh, you know, that was just kind of where that went. So uh, moving to a different character, Pepper Potts. Pepper got powers in this movie. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I liked it. I mean, I think... <laughs> Did you? <laughs> no, like, well, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Like you're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> no, I like Pepper. No, Potts, I'm going to leave it. Why? Because you see her character through the first, you know, three Iron Man films. And just the fact that she was able to get powers and she was able to do something to help Tony towards the end of the movie to me i feel like that was something special because obviously tony dealing with his ptsd obviously not okay and he's always been the quote-unquote savior in all of his films he's always come out victorious so the fact that you now have pepper who has always been kind of a support system to tony and kind of being almost like a um a foundation in some ways when he's out of control you know she's kind of that calm she's the thing that kind of kind of she's the um she's the um black widow to the hulk in some ways um and then i know so so i'm getting real low big guy the fact that she was able to get powers and use them to save tony i think was a fitting touch to kind of that whole character struggle that tony had that he didn't have to try to be the hero all the time he doesn't have to be the one to fly up into the portal to save all of humanity that there's other people around him that can kind of help him save the world and it's not all on his shoulders so do you think that that plays into the full story that this was a tony film and not a iron man film Absolutely. Like how we've been, like we've been, we've been talking this whole time about like bringing it back to those basics that you know you are not the suit. The suit is just a like an extension. It is not who you are, but just an extension to your physical body. Like, and to have Pepper just have that one moment that she got to save him. You think mm-hmm. that that was just part of that story that they were trying to tell? I think so because then even when he activated all the suits and they were going like they still weren't gonna, they still weren't gonna save him. But then it yeah. was Pepper that ended up doing it. 
which kind of cements that, you know, he's he's not the suit. Well, this isn't even the first time that she has saved him, because in the first one, she pulled the the switch when him and Obadiah <laughs> Stain are on the roof. So, True. but yeah, no, I, I agree with with your sentiments there. What about you, Micah? Yeah, I kind of agree with Scott. Like it was kind of a full circle moment. At the same time, I, you know, we talked about this when we recorded the Iron Man 2 episode, but like we talked about how much she struggled with everything that she had to put up with, with Tony. But I think there were points in this movie where she was a little over the top as far as like how she was frustrated with him and frustrated with all the stuff that he had going on. And I'm like, do you really understand what he's going through? Like he's like literally trying to carry the world on his back. Like, and he's struggling through that. And like, I wish she would have been a little bit more empathetic to him about it, you know, especially early on before the, um, you know, before the, the mansion blew up and stuff. Like she's like when the, when the Iron Man suit like attacks her in her sleep, and like she she's like i'm sleeping on the couch deal with that and like i understand that she was upset and i understand that she was mad but like i don't know like i just felt like she should have shown a little bit more you know sympathy for what he was going through in that moment you know and i think she finally gets it towards you know and maybe that maybe that's just marvel doing a good job of just long-term storytelling because by the time we get to endgame and stuff especially when tony dies like spoiler right he dies um you know she's like you can you can rest now like at the end of that movie and then game like she finally understands like what he's going through and she finally understands like and that just shows that they grow and mature as a couple which kind of like i just got off topic as completely as to your question but like i was thinking about that as scott kind of explained it but like yeah it was cool it was a full circle moment that she was able to help save him instead of him saving her and maybe that you know is what's needed to kind of just, again, ground him from being this big-headed, you know, billionaire, genius, philanthropist, playboy, what he says yeah. in Avengers 1. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me ask a follow-up question with that. Do you think that her reaction to Tony by not being very sympathetic, do you think that's part of just bad written or badly written, like, writing or character development or is it more of when you think of someone who's a narcissist and someone who you know dealing with struggling with something like ptsd they don't really talk about stuff so is it because he she doesn't know or is not sympathetic or is it because he's not sharing revealing that stuff to her the more I've, I've learned about ptsd and through my own journey with with some of that i've learned that i don't I either overshare or I completely undershare depending on, on what it is. And I think that if you watch him, he doesn't talk about it. And I think that you hit, I think you hit this one right out of the park. I think that it is that he didn't tell her that, Hey, I went through a wormhole. I saved all of humanity. And I feel like, like I had, I have this, this innate feeling that I need to put something together to save the world and like going through some of those pieces and, and I know that he has those visions come uh, Age of Ultron and it just gets worse and worse and worse for you him. You mentioned but, Age of Ultron you know, a lot I, in this, this, this episode. I have. I feel like, you're making, I feel I feel like, like you're making up for it in all the other episodes you weren't able to. I feel like we need like a bell. So anytime when Age of Ultron gets <laughs> mentioned, you hit it and there's like a ding. 
and then we kind of keep a tally of how much times that's being said. No, I, I, but this film specifically really plays into what Age of Ultron does for his his own character arc. I feel like as soon as this movie's over, he immediately goes right into Age of Ultron. Like, I don't feel like there's that much mm-hmm. time difference. Like, when, when you finally get to there, I mean, it was, what, two years between the releases? But as a whole, it really is probably more like a year and a half, if that, year, year and a half. And that's not a lot of time. And so a lot of these pieces just mm. keep pushing to it. And so, you know, I just think that I think that this was a, a well-told story. And I think that they they handled PTSD and some of those issues very well. But for the untrained eye, they wouldn't see it that way. Like, I feel like as a, I feel like this would be a really good movie to show in a psych class. So, OK, Uh we're, we're, as we're wrapping up, I want to ask this question. What did you guys think about the house party protocol? Uh, and which suit was your favorite? You don't have to say the, the mark number or anything like that. Just describe which one it was that you liked. But, you know, what were your thoughts on the house party protocol? And which suit did you like the most? Uh, to be honest, like, I, I'm not used to reading Spider-Man comics or anything. So just me seeing the different variety of suits is fascinating to me. Like, even playing, like... This is gonna sound funny, but even playing like Lego Mar like Marvel Lego Marvel superheroes, and then sometimes you can have the different like Mark whatever suits. Like to me, I'm just like, oh, I didn't realize there was this many suits, and that was like the first game. Or like even now playing Marvel's Avengers, and it's like, oh, you can get this suit or get all these different cosmetics that you you know have to pay for. Thanks, Square Enix, but um. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, I didn't realize how many different suits there are. So I think just me just seeing all of them is like, oh, wow, like I never knew this. So that was kind of more of my surprise, just didn't knowing how many different suits there were. Yeah, I really liked, I thought the house party protocol was a nice touch. In my notes I wrote, did it just continue to show how smart Tony Stark really was? Um, that he continued to just make suits and he always improved technology and he was just oh, always yeah. like working on something, right? He always had his hands in something. And I think it was um, early on in the movie, he was like, I haven't slept in 72 hours. Like, because he was sitting down there working on stuff because he was just constantly reworking um, what he was doing, his different suits, his technology, the way that he did things. And then as far as suits, um, I did look up the different, some of the different suit models this afternoon. And uh, the suit that I really like was called the Mark 39, AKA suborbital suit Gemini. Um, and the reason I liked it, it was gold and white and it kind of looked like the white Power Ranger. I mean, it looked really, really cool. The design was cool. It was very, very slick. And it wasn't like your traditional red and gold Iron Man suit and it was different. So I also like some of the blue that he uses in some of the suits, blue and the blue and silver ones. And like even in, in Avengers Endgame when Pepper gets the purple suit, like that's pretty cool. Like just the different colors they use. But like in this one, you know, there were several, several different versions, several different color schemes and versions. But like for me, I really like the the orbital suit Gemini because it was gold and white. There was this one suit that I absolutely loved. It had like the kind of more construction digger kind of arms. And he, there's this moment where there's two extremist guys <laughs> coming at him and he like 
pounds the floor and then he lifts his arms and they like had flown right through him because he kind of like skyrocketed him at him and then he like pushes out and like shoots him off real quick and like basically like punctures a hole in him because of the way the suit's arms are i was like i really liked the it wasn't always just like a knight in shining armor kind of look that each one was a little different. So I loved the house party protocol. I loved that he always had a different name for each piece that he did. And some of them were a little bit more fun and whatnot. So, so with all I that, like the birthday suit, <laughs> he's been holding that one. And I've been watching, I was like, what is he trying to say? All right. The birthday suit. There you go. I'm getting tired. My mind's, my mind's getting wonky. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, as we as we close out this episode, if you were to rate this film, how would you rate it? One being really really terrible film versus ten being a very great film. Where where would you guys sit this on your scale? You know, I think I, I talked we talked I talked about this before we started recording this episode. Like when I think about how it rank the three Iron Man films, just just the Iron Man films. I feel like Iron Man two and Iron Man. Iron Man 3 could always be changed into second or third place, depending on. So I would say for me, it's probably, I mean, there's parts I like about, there's parts I don't like about the film. Um, I might be being generous, but I'd say it's a solid six. Okay, that's not bad for me. Michael, what about you, bud? I wrote seven or eight. Solid Mm -hmm. seven, possibly eight, probably... No, it is better than Morbius. Stop it. Stop it. I couldn't help myself because you rated Morbius a seven. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give Morbius an eight just because I keep getting picked on. And I, I, the more I think about it, the more I want to watch it again. Um, like I want- Well, go see it in theaters. You'll probably be the only one there. Mm, not our TikTok. That, that vote is still fairly close. So, um, so anyway- They're lying to you out of sympathy. No, they're not. Get that out of here. Um, they're enjoying good film. Uh, okay, so for me, I think I would say a seven for this film. I don't think that it was fantastic by any means. Uh, if I went back like nine years ago when it came out, I probably would have given it higher just from that first viewing. I absolutely loved it. But the more that it's aged, the less that I, I've liked it in comparison to like, I feel like Iron Man has aged really, really well. Um, Iron Man 2 even I feel like has aged fairly well but Iron Man 3 I'll give it a 7 it's not a bad film it's not really even mediocre I feel like it's it's a good film it's just not great Um, that's where I sit with it so guys thank you so much for being a part of this I had a lot of fun with you guys tonight it's uh, so glad to be back uh, in the hosting chair for those of us who are listening to this episode, I encourage you guys to check out our newest segment called The Comic Book Club. It is on Podbean. It is a one-time $25 fee, and then you can go in and listen to our hot takes and perspectives of current comic books, old comic books, classic. We're hitting all of it, um, whether it's Marvel, DC, IDW, Image, all that stuff. We are we are definitely getting into it. We want to get people to see more than just a movie or a TV show. But with that, guys, check out our TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. We're more active on our TikTok than anything else. But we encourage you guys to be a part of the Nerd Talk Nation. We love you guys, and we can't do this without you. So with that, we will catch you guys here next time on Nerd Talk.